0: Wednesday night after the service, a gentleman came up to me and said, showed me an old book that was falling apart, and uh, he'd written all over it, and he said, let me show you something. 25 years ago or so, you did a series of messages on this subject, and I want you to know that it changed my life, and I've been following it ever since, and I just uh, wanted to show you this, and he was very, very encouraging to me, and You know, always during January, almost always, I do a series on some aspect of goal setting and planning for your life. I think that's essential to stewardship, of course. And so I began to think about it. I don't usually get my messages from somebody coming after the church service and talking to me, but I did today. And I want Bert Owens to come up and give you the same testimony that he did to me the other night. And Bert, come on up. He's been around the church a long time here, serves the Lord in our Sunday school and other capacities. And God bless you today. And tell people what's on your heart.
1: Well, first, uh, on Thursday, uh, no, Friday, actually, I got a strange phone call. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't have, usually I have, you know, an ID attached to it. And I thought it was Publisher's House where I'd won the $5,000 and then the $5,000 June giveaway. And I'd already thought about how to auction that off, but it turned out to be the preacher. So I was, uh, it went backwards both ways. Uh, you know, something that is important, I think, is encouragement. You know, I remember Junior Heroes one time, he talked about encouraging. And I read his book on encouragement. And I think that it's important, and especially to the people who have impacted your life. And, and so, man, I was just young, had a young family when we came here. I didn't know what I didn't know. And he had preached a message. And again, I pull this out every year in January and I start looking through some goals. And this is the, this is the original. That's just tattered and torn apart. But I started looking at it. I realized that I he had said a few things in a couple of other sermons about that. So I just came up to him and I said, you know, preacher, you did this. It it, it changed my life. Um, spiritually, physically, mentally, socially. You know, the mental question, Paula would probably question, but socially, family, financial, career. All of those things I, I began to mature in because I made a very conscientious effort to sit down and write out some things in my life that I knew that I had to do differently. I think spiritually was one of the greatest ones that, that when I sat down and started writing that out. But let me give you an example of something that happened. I just took a personal inventory is what I did. And I realized that I needed a more balanced life. But I sat down and wrote this out. This was back in, oh gosh, 90 something. Maintaining a healthy God-centered family life. One in which we all uh, respectful of one another, encouraging one another, and having a desire to seek fulfillment in all areas of our lives. And then I went through and broke that down. Each family member have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, each person having a life that pleases the Lord in all things. Each family member have a healthy uh, relationship, again, with one another. And they displays that by their actions. E each family member learned personal responsibility. And and I could go on. And then I went down there and said, well, what do I need to do about that? How do I lead them? How do I train them? How do I pray for them? And how do I learn myself how to be better at that? And I did that in a, in a lot of these areas, in business and some other areas of my life. And, you know, I can honestly say it. I, I don't even think I know this side of heaven how much it changed my life from from, you know, my work to to serving here in church because I wasn't doing that to a, a very large degree. And, and I know that ebbs and flows sometimes. But I think the thing is is I, I sought to grow and it changed my life and it, it made an impact in my family's life. And I see my children have a personal relationship with the Lord now. And then I see my grandkids and my daughter and her husband bringing them here and raising them up here and, 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 and they'll have a relationship with the Lord. So just, we never know. Out of three, think about this, out of 325 million Americans in the world today, we're fixed to hear a sermon from the pastor, that can be powerful. It's just what we do with it. It's just what we do with it. And so I would encourage you, and I especially thought about the young people, preacher, as as you asked me to get up here and talk about this. You know, there's a saying that a good friend of mine and mentor has that he says, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. For years, I was a student, you know, but I wasn't ready, so the teacher didn't appear. So if I was you, I would take copious notes, And I would put it in my Bible somewhere because one day you're going to look back over this and go, wow, why didn't I get it? Why didn't I get it? As a matter of fact is, I can think of my mom and dad, how smart they've become as I've gotten older, isn't it? So I I would say this, preacher, thank you for your diligence. It's made an impact in my life. And a lot of you guys don't know, even though we may not come up, we, we we impact other people's lives around us, don't we? And how we react to things. But this I'm looking forward to. So I'm ready to go sit down and listen to him preach about it. Thank you all very much.
0: Thank you, Bert. That was a good testimony. And I appreciate what you said. You have a sheet of paper here before you. uh, Called the Wheel of Life. If you didn't receive one, hold up your hand. The Wheel of Life life. Turn in your Bible the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 and then Ephesians 4. Two places in your Bible I want you to turn to, and we won't turn to every reference today, but we want to turn to these two to begin with, 2 Peter 3, Ephesians 4. Does everybody in the house have a copy of The Wheel of Life? The Wheel of Life. Okay, if you do, stand to your feet with me, if you will, with your Bible, please. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. A verse says that every Christian needs to G-R O W grow. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing right now. And then turn to the book of Ephesians. Back to Ephesians chapter 4. Another passage on growth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14. That you henceforth be no more children spiritually tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, that we may grow up in all things. Wow, powerful, powerful passages from God's Word. Thank you, and you may be seated. Well, Bert said it for me in the testimony preceding the message here. The aim of my message today is to challenge you to grow, to grow this year. 2018, this is just what the third Sunday or so of the month. So the year is very young. You still have an opportunity to grow in 2018. I want to challenge you to not only grow this year, to grow the rest of your life, to come to the end of your life with very few or no regrets. You know, one of the saddest things I do is to go and see people who are coming to the end of their life. They know it. Everybody knows it. And you know what often is the thing that makes them the saddest? It's not their physical problems. It's not their loneliness. It's regret. I cannot think of a worse condition than to have to live with deep, deep regret. And the only way to avoid regret, oh, I wish I had, The only way to avoid it is to do what God leads us to do right now, to not procrastinate and to put it off. I want you to grow. This church, my goal as a pastor is to create an environment where people grow, where people thrive. When you stand before the Lord at the end of your life and time, I don't want the Lord to blame me or the Florence Baptist Temple because you didn't grow. I want you to have to bear full responsibility that we put all the tools that you needed to grow right in your hand. And if you didn't grow, it was because you, did, you chose not to grow. As he said, the student didn't learn because they were not ready to hear the teacher. And so my goal in this message is to challenge you to grow, not just to grow in one area though. Preachers focus on spiritual growth. I want you to grow in all areas of your life. And today you have an opportunity to make a fresh start. The book of Psalms chapter one, as you know, is one of my very favorite passages of scripture. I've preached on it 10 or 15 times. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly and all that. And then you come down a verse or two, and here's what it says. Now, hear me well. It says in Psalm 1, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. A tree that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf is always green, basically, is what it's talking about. In other words, the Bible compares a Christian to an evergreen tree. Not a barren maple tree where all the leaves fall off, but a tree that's always green and it's always producing. A tree that's planted by the river so it never lacks for nourishment and water. It always has the resources it needs to grow. Do you know the thing about a tree? A tree grows for its entire existence, its entire life. Oh, I I ought to to have you write that 50 times for the teacher. A tree grows all of its life. And so you cut down a 250-year-old oak tree, and you know what? Out there on the outer circle, the cambium, there are the inner circle. I can't remember which. Don't somebody write me and tell me you're a botanist and I messed it up. But uh, wherever, there's a ring in the tree on the cambium. And there's a new year of growth. And every year it adds one more year. Every year the tree lives. It doesn't matter how long. The tree's 300 years old. But it grew the 299th year. You know what I've observed and I speak to them the people who are my age I'm old enough to speak to you and it is a tragic thing so many people when they get about 45 they say well I'm like Popeye the sailor man I just am what I am I'm just who I am and I can't do anything about it and it's too late to change now huh can't teach an old dog new tricks preacher well, maybe you can. Maybe the dog has to want to learn some new tricks. And to you who are my age as well, it is not too late to grow in your life. So don't turn me out and say, well, that's for the young people. The young people don't need to grow any more than I need to grow. My goal in life is to go down and the last day that I live my life that I learned something or that I was able to do something constructive, but that I didn't just shrug my shoulders and be lethargic and apathetic about my life and say, well, I just, you know, this is just what I am. No, you can grow. We're like a tree planted by the rivers of water, and we bring our fruit throughout our life. The Bible says about people. They brought forth fruit in their old age. They shall bring forth fruit in their old age. Now, I gave you the piece of paper that's entitled The Wheel of Life. The secondary title here is A Christ-Centered Life with No Regrets, because I want you to finish in a way that your life is not overwhelmed with regret. I want you to look back and say, I was not perfect, but you know what? I've been growing and I'm leaning in the right direction. I'm making progress in my life. And when I talk to you about this, I'm really talking to you about this, I'm talking about stewardship, not the stewardship of time, or money. I am talking indirectly about the stewardship of our abilities and our talents, but I'm talking to you about your whole life that was purchased and bought by the blood of Christ, if you're a Christian, and that your whole life belongs to him, not just your spiritual life, because so many people compartmentalize their life. They view their life as a piece of pie, like that circle right there, and The Christian life is a part of that. It's one piece of the pie. Oh, I've got one of them listed there as spiritual. But listen, your Christian faith is not one slice of the pie that you give to the Lord from 9.30 to 11.45 or something on Sunday morning. No, the Christian life involves everything and every area of my life, everything that I am. Turn one more time with me, if you will, back to the left a little bit again, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Now, these are mostly familiar passages, but we want to weave them into a way that they take on a fresh life to us. And in 1 Corinthians 10 and 31, whether therefore you eat, just a normal activity, or drink, normal activity. Or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do it all to the glory of God. The stewardship of life. And as I said, my goal in our church as your pastor is to create an atmosphere, an environment that is conducive to people growing in every part of their life, especially, of course, their spiritual life. Now, you have that wheel. And notice up here on the screen, I've got a brightly colored one that I can show to you. And the very center of it is Jesus Christ. I want you to start with the center. And there's a reason for that because Jesus Christ is to be our Lord as Christians. And so we put the Lordship of Christ dead center of life. What I want you to see there. Is that Jesus Christ is to be the center of everything in my life. Jesus Christ is not one of the slices in the circle, it's not one of the spokes. He touches every part. In fact, I should say it even better than that. It's not that He just touches it, it's that every part of my life is related to Him in that circle up there. He's the center. He's not a fire escape over here that I trusted in order to not go to hell when I go into eternity. He is not a part of my life. He is my life. Notice up there, or notice on your wheel, there is no religious category there. You have eight categories, but one of them doesn't say religion or church or anything like that. These are categories, every one of which are related to inextricably to Jesus Christ. He is the hub of the wheel of my life. He is the center of my life. He is the Lord of every single area of my life. Now, if you don't know him today, then you can't say that. And some of you claim to know him, but my dear friend, Jesus is obviously, any casual observer of your life knows that Jesus is not the hub. He's not the center. And when he's not the center, the wheel is out of balance. It's thumping as you go down the road. It's wearing out. Jesus Christ died to be Lord of your life. Romans says, one of those verses there, Jesus Christ deserves to be the Lord of your life. Not a little piece peace. Some of you, and I lovingly say it to you, you get so edgy. If, anybody, if you think we're going to demand one more minute past 12 o'clock on Sunday or one more dime beyond the commitment, you, you get real edgy because you've got your life planned. But Jesus is not heart and soul and center and hub, and you're not going to get the blessing of the Christian life until Jesus is Lord. Then I want you to notice, I divided the wheel of life into eight categories. And you can see what the categories are there. Number one is the spiritual. Number two, marriage and family. Number three, professional or vocational. Number four is your financial life, money. Number five is your physical life, your health. Number six is your mental and emotional life life. You might add the word there, attitude, because attitude comes out of your emotions, doesn't it? And then there's number seven is your social life, your relationships with other people. And number eight is hobbies and recreation and interests and so on. Or I might should have put a blank slice, a ninth slice in the wheel. And you could put other because there might be something that's really vital in your life, but it doesn't fit in what I wrote, and that doesn't matter. If you want to add another slice, feel free to do so. So there's these, uh, these eight areas. Now, what I want you to notice as you look at the wheel, whether it's on the screen or in your lap here, the first thing I want you to notice is that all those sections are equal there on the wheel because I had to make the wheel round, right? But in reality, they're not all equal. They're not all of the same importance. Some of them are vitally important And absolutely essential in every life. Others of them vary according to you and your lifestyle and how you live your life. I put the spirituals number one. The reason I put the spiritual as number one is because Jesus said it was number one. And you have the reference there beside it in Matthew 6 and 33. Seek ye, say it, first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. His righteousness, obviously, in your life, in my life. Seek first. That's like saying, put Jesus first. It's back to this lordship issue of which I just spoke. So the spiritual's first because Jesus said it was first. It's first for another reason. Now reason with me and think with me. If the spiritual gets right... If you're growing in your spiritual life Then I can tell you that many of the other categories Just fall into place When you get that relationship with the Lord In its proper place Your life gets in alignment And other categories begin to get lined up As the Lord wanted them to As he planned for them to for example, if my spiritual life is right, then my emotional life is going to be dramatically affected by that because the fruit of the Spirit in my life. If I have love, joy, peace, all those qualities of the fruit of the Spirit, see, if that's, that's my spiritual life, that spills over, and that's going to begin to affect my emotion. And if my spiritual life is right and I'm living an obedient life, there's some things I'm not going to be doing that, uh, that's going to affect my health. I'm probably not going to be smoking a lot of dope when I put the Lord Jesus Christ first in my life. Amen. And so it just covers the whole realm of life. It just takes care of so many problems. When the Lord is first, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. So I've solved a lot of family issues right up front there. it It permeates my life when Jesus is the center, and my spiritual life is my absolute number one value. Then number two, I put marriage and family. And that's critical. Now I put some references there, Ephesians five which talks about the relationship of husbands and wives, and Proverbs 22 and 6, which is a general principle for rearing children. Um, That's so important, but I don't have time to go into each category. Then my professional and vocational life, because that's going to be demanded of you to be able to exist today in, in, in the world in which we live. Your professional and vocational life also is related to your finances. What you're going to be working at is going to spill over and touch your financial life, obviously. And how much money you make will be related to your vocational and professional life as well. I put the, the, the reference from Deuteronomy 8 and 18 there. I quoted that verse last week. Deuteronomy eight eighteen says, It is the Lord God that giveth thee power to get wealth. You see, the world today is scrambling and greedily trying to grab onto every penny that they can. They don't even think about the fact that, hey, what is God's will? What is God's plan? And if I prosper, it will be because God allowed me to prosper. He gave me the opportunity to get the education. He gives me the health to work. He gave me the sound mind that I need So these are so interconnected and so interrelated together. There's the physical, the physical part of us. And boy, we don't want to minimize that. My wife and I had a little trip to the hospital this week, and she had some problems and had to undergo some testing and so on. And thank God for health. It makes you aware when you walk these hospital corridors 3 John verse 2, we know it's the will of God to be healthy. Beloved, I wish above all else that you may prosper and that you may be in health, in health. Your physical frame and body is the handiwork of God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we, a Christian, is focused on his or her health the exercise, the diet, the, uh, uh, the weight control, all these things that we know go into making up our health. Well, that's part of the wheel of life. You know, it doesn't matter how spiritual I am, how much I pray, how much I know about the Bible. If I get knocked down by some serious physical problem, I can't exercise that gift. I have an old preacher friend, and oh, what a man of God. And then he had a stroke. And God is not able to use him much today. He's on the sideline. You see, all this, one thing, it's like gears. They all come together. And your health is important. I try to exercise on a regular basis. I ride a bike most of the time around my community. And I go round and around and round the same circle. I got 5,000 miles on a bicycle. And I put it all around one circle there. And the people say, there goes old Mr. Monroe. He's just out of it. He rides around that circle every day. He's losing it. He just goes around. Doesn't he know there's another street in town? I got 5,000 miles around, one mile circle. You say, what are you trying to do? I have no idea. I keep riding that because it's the safest place in town. I don't meet many cars. And some of y'all, I don't want to meet you rolling my bicycle and you in a car. So, you know, that's... All right, there's old Mr. Monroe riding around his circle again. There he goes again, poor old man. I wish Norma would get him, put him on a leash and keep him safe. <clears throat> but I know how important it is. I know you can get sidelined like that. And every day I thank God for my health. Do you thank him for your health? Oh, how vital it is. I didn't mean to get on that other. That wasn't in my notes here. And then there's the mental, emotional attitude part. Write down another reference there beside it. Proverbs 23 and 6. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I hadn't quoted that verse in a long time. "As As he thinketh in his heart, whatever you think you are. And whatever you think about is going to be reflected in your attitudes and your emotions. And so don't don't shirk that mental emotional part right there. It could be one of the two or three most important ones. And then there's the social up there that Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and in favor with man, Luke 2.42. Jesus was a social being. If you want to be like Jesus, you've got to relate to the people, right? And if you'll take other verses there, like Proverbs 13 and 20, it says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Choose your friends carefully. They impact and affect you more than you know, my friend. Now, There's the eight categories. I went through them as quickly as I could. Now you have the eight categories down here at the bottom with a scripture related to each one. Most of the scriptures I've already quoted. And you have the same format for each one. You have a goal. You actually have two goals. We put two goals down there because I wanted to convey the idea that you probably have more than two in any category. And we only... We only have two. You may have five goals in an area. So you're going to have to use another piece of paper. But it's the idea that you start with goals. And then you go from, after you set goals, you write plans. And after you've written your plans, during the writing of your plans, you're going to begin to see obstacles and barriers and problems and things that stand between you and the achievement of your goals. And so you're going to want to analyze those and decide how to overcome those things. And then you're going to, you're going to see some character needs that you have. And I'm going to say, you know, I can't reach this goal until I make some internal, intangible changes in my life because all the th- the greatest barrier to people achieving their goals is their own personality I'm convinced what is it that holds them back so often it's some quirk of character now go with me to proverbs chapter 16 in your bible because I want to I want to head off a of, a question or a, a, that could possibly be in somebody's mind and I want to head it off from the scripture because I have met Christians sincere Christians too I mean they were not trying to impress me with uh, uh, in, in some way Proverbs chapter 16 I've met Christians who asked me do you think it's right to set goals should a Christian really take goal setting that seriously as you seem to do? Is it scriptural? Is it spiritual to set goals? Because after all, isn't God going to do what he wants to do anyhow? Okay, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9. A man's heart deviseth his way. Okay, right in the margin of your Bible there, a man's heart deviseth his plans. That's what that means. I sit down and write out my plans. I sat down and I write out goals in each area of my life because I'm a, I am ai want to grow this year and I won't grow if I don't plan to grow. A man's heart deviseth his plans, but the Lord directeth his steps. The final outcome is in the Lord's hands, no matter what I plan. We know that, don't we? God is sovereign, He reigns, He's overall. Yes, that is all true. But there's another old saying, and I like it like this. I love this little statement. Man proposes, man proposes, God disposes. Man proposes, God disposes. If I don't plan, I spend my life wandering and I achieve about 10% of what I could have done in my life. Even though while I make my plans, it may be that God has something else in mind that I don't know about. He has the right to overrule. But believe me, you'll get down the road so much further if you have a plan. Let's say I want to go to uh, Jackson, Mississippi. Well, I say, you know what? I just, I'm not going to get a map or look at a GPS. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like. I may end up in Chicago, right? I better do some planning, now, I do know that somewhere along the, Lord, the road, the Lord might interrupt my plan. But I'll get there a lot quicker if I have a plan than if I just say, ah, I don't need to worry about planning. The Lord's taking care of it. It's kind of ridiculous. God's sovereignty is absolutely true. But man's free will is equally true. And God gave you... Brains, abilities, use them, and but always remember God has the right as creator to overrule. And when he does, we learn to submit to that. Man proposes, God, propo- God disposes. You know why I'm doing this, and Bert just reminded me of it, I'm doing this because goal-setting changed my life too. I was 25 years old before I ever heard anybody talk about goal-setting like I'm talking to you. And up to that time, my life had been okay. I'd even been able to get married and convince Norma that I had a reasonable amount of sense. But I was really going nowhere. And then I became confronted by some people and some books and some stuff and they began to talk about, you know what? You're the driver of the car of life. Now, you better make some plans on where you're going. You better get, Do you have a map? No, I don't have a map. I'm just doing whatever happens, you know. And I was living my life almost randomly. I went through the University of South Carolina, two Bible colleges, and nobody ever told me what I'm telling you this morning. You can pay me later. Nobody ever told me that. And then I began to encounter some books and some people and so on. And boy, it lit a fire in my heart that has never gone out. That's been 49, 50 years ago, and I still have that fire in my heart because I know what it did for me to begin to think through the whole of my life and line it all up with God's purposes and God's plans. Harvard University did a study of people who write their goals, not who just have a goal, who write their goals. And they found out that only 10% of the graduates of Harvard ever wrote their goals, but they found out that the 10% who did write their goals far exceeded in their achievement and accomplishment in life what the ones who never wrote their goals did. I tell you, it's a powerful thing. To be effective, though, you can't, you're not going to be able to do it on that one line. That's just a suggested format. That's your template. You've got to remember that goals have to be written or they're not going to be effective. And where you put that pen on that piece of paper, do you know what writing does? It makes you think in terms of specifics. You're not thinking just randomly and in general vague terms You're thinking specific. To write words down, you have to think concisely. And that's why writing is work. It's laborious, it's hard work. But if you will write your goals, that's the first and most critical thing. The difference in having a dream and having a goal is writing it down. Now, a lot of you are not going to ever write it down. You're going to sit right here and listen to me tell you how great it is. You listen to Bird's testimony and you won't do it, please do it. Where your pen touches the paper, there you begin to think your thinking is crystallized, if you will. They have to be specific, not I want to be rich. How rich? I want to acquire a million dollars, or whatever you think rich is. It's got to be very specific. Number two, Or three, rather. It's got to be written. It's got to be specific. It's got to be measurable. You can't say, I want to be better. I want to be a better person. That's not a goal. That's a wish. A goal is, I want to be a better person by learning this year to show love to my wife, to put her first, and my children. It's got to be specific. And it's hard in some of those areas to be specific, but you can do it. It's got to be achievable. It can't be, I think I'll fly to the moon this year. It's got to be something reasonable. It's got to be reachable. You got to say, I could maybe pull that off this year. And lastly, I think you need a date for it. So I say, I'm going to read my Bible through by the end of this year. You see, that's measurable. That's specific. That's dated. That's dated. That's possible. It's easy to do, really, if I devote myself to it. A burning desire comes out of writing your goals. I've been writing mine in the last week or two for the, I don't know, the 48th year, I guess. I have three goals for the church this year again. That is, we win more people to Christ, we increase the attendance that we get more people to serve the Lord in a ministry function here at the church. That's my three primary goals. The fourth one is make the budget, stewardship. How do you motivate anybody without a goal? I have people say to me, how do you stay motivated after 48 years in the same church? Because I, my goals change every year. If I didn't have any goals, specific goals, I wouldn't be motivated So goals motivate us. They put a burning desire in us. Win the championship. Become a nurse. Make $100,000 this year. Pay off my house, my mortgage. Marry that girl. See, those are specific goals. It is learning to live with intention and not drifting through life and let's letting circumstances control me. So develop your plans. And you'll need pages to write out those plans probably. You'll see the barriers will surface and the obstacles will appear. I need more education if I'm going to accomplish my goal. I've got to learn to forgive and get rid of this bitterness because it's holding me back. See, that's a goal. I need more self-control and more patience in my life. Boy, you're beginning to probe down. You're becoming your own counselor using the Word of God. And you say, what qualities do I need to develop? What attitudes are holding me back in my relationship with people, with God, with my work or my health, whatever it may be. So many people are failing because they're bitter. They're angry. They don't even know they're bitter and angry. I talked to a man recently and I said to him, look, I'm just going to have to level with you. You are a bitter man. Oh, no, not me preacher. I don't have an ounce of bitterness. I said it reeks. It's off. It comes off of you. You got to deal with that if you're going to get the rest of things straightened out in your life. And then of course, for we who know the Lord, there's the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the filling of the Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know if a person is filled with the Spirit? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit shows up in attitudes and emotions that that person has. I hope you will take that and it'll become a tool and you'll use it. And 25 years from now, you'll tell somebody, as Bert Owens did this morning, you can't really get your life, you can't get the wheel in balance if you don't know the Savior. If, you don't, if, if that spot that said Jesus there, Christ in the center of that hub, if it's empty today, not much of what I said will work for you. Oh, you can set your goals. You can go as far as human ability will take you. You may make $10 million, and you may be the richest man, the richest man in town, but you also may be the unhappiest man in town. Because the wheel is flat on one side, see. You've got to have it all. And life, fullness of life, comes from the Lord Jesus. Not perfection, but fullness. Would you bow your head with me?